devastating Pacific Highway bus crashes in 1989, Roger Mason read an article about one of the police officers on the scene. It was that that made me aware for the first time of hero's remorse. One tragic event among many others would inspire some of his best work. I'm Jane Rocker from Mushroom. This is some of my best work. Roger Mason's early years in music were spent in bands like Colt, James Freud and the Radio Stars and Models. By mid-1988, the Models had broken up, leaving Roger to ponder what to do next. So he built a ship in his living room. Running out of money, he decided to write music, not just for himself, but for other artists and films. Some of his best work is Token Angels, released in 1990 as the first single on Wendy Matthews' debut studio album. Roger, thank you so much for taking part in an episode of Some of My Best Work to talk about a song that you wrote quite a while ago, Token Angels, which was a song that Wendy Matthews helped make quite famous. She did. Can you tell me a little about the song, writing it, and why you've chosen it to discuss on this episode? Well, I guess you'd have to go back to the time during the models uh, in which I was the keyboard player. The band was kind of breaking up um, around 87. We had a pretty good run, but there was just too much friction from the two lead singers, James and Sean, and songwriters. They were, did most of the songwriting, all of the songwriting, I should say. But at the centre of the breakup and the animosity between the those two guys, was that one of the backing singers that we hired to do the Australia Made Tour, which was the big tour a year earlier around Australia that a lot of bands played in, one of those girls was Wendy. Uh, there was this competition between James and Sean as uh, the uh, two alpha males of the band as to who was going to claim her as their own. And uh, <laughs> she actually um, chose Sean. And the fact that James was married was irrelevant. <laughs> so anyway, that created a lot of friction in the band. And that was the, I guess, the catalyst to everything else. Because there was other tension between the two of them as the songwriters. They were both in this bitter rivalry um, for artistic authenticity. You know, they wanted to be the, um, the ones that all the critics loved, but they also both wanted the commercial success. And they wanted to claim the uh, the glory for themselves. So it was all of those things. It just, the band came to a conclusion and um, everyone went their, their strange, their, their different ways because it was um, irreconcilable. Um, and then when the band split, everyone was kind of um, lost. Well, Barton and I were, I guess. James and Sean mm. were pretty good because they were set up with publishing. They were songwriters. Um, they had a path. You know, when you lose a band, it's a pretty um, 
it's a pretty odd thing because you you live and play and in this intimate proximity for years you know you bond you fight you share but each night you get up and you play your heart out because that's why you're there and it's that i guess that uniting force that keeps you all together until it it just doesn't it doesn't work anymore it falls apart yeah so the band split in 87 we had a burden of debt not only did we have no income but we had a $60,000 debt at the end of the band that we're all personally responsible for. And after management, you know, the old rock and roll cliche, don't worry, we've invested it for you. (laughs) (laughs) And then you find you finish your last tour and what do you mean? There's no money. In fact, you owe it. Here's the bill. So it was all that kind of stuff. And so it, it was the kind of thing that just left a bad taste in everyone's mouth and they just wanted to walk away. And they did. And it affected us differently. Because, as I said, James and Sean had a bit of money behind them. Barton and I didn't. And uh, me, I just found myself sitting in my apartment <laughs> for um, for three months building a model boat. Mm-hmm. I kind of had this, I guess, this minor little breakdown or just a, I'm just going to do something completely different as a distraction. Barton kind of went on another path and went on a bender for two years. He's fine now. <laughs> You know, we all handled it differently. But at the end of that, that little weird period in my life where I built a boat in my lounge room, I thought I'd better check my bank account. And I realized that I had nothing in there to pay the next month's rent. So I had to actually start doing something about establishing a new career. So I was lucky enough to fall into some gigs. I started playing with... um, some people like um, Margaret Ehrlich and Peter Blakely, mm-hmm. Ice House, Divinals, uh, various bands as a kind of a gun for hire. And then I kind of fell into this idea that I should start writing songs because I'd always had an inclination to write music. I, was, I found composition actually quite easy. Songwriting and lyrics was hard. It was just a different skill set. And I never really had a natural inclination to it. So I thought, well, now's the time to start. I threw myself into that. Within, I guess, about two years, it was 89, actually, when I had a small bunch of songs that I'd pulled together. I started tossing them around and I approached Wendy if she wouldn't mind singing on um, some of those tracks. She was singing with Sean. They were still together. And he had formed Absent Friends. So he was singing with her, with them. And I was playing keyboards on a few tracks on the album. And so James Valentine had a wedding coming up and he asked Wendy to sing it at, and asked me to play. So I accompanied her singing a couple of songs at this ceremony. But just before I flew out the door, while my partner's screaming at me because we were so late, I just managed to throw together this middle section for a song I'd been working on. I had a title, but I didn't really know where it was going. Um, Token Angels. Mm. And so it's the middle section of the instrumental with the violin solo. And that kind of came about because I was watching the news one night. It was 89. And it was the Grafton bus crash. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then shortly after that, two or three months after that, there was another one. And Australia had never seen anything like it, except for maybe the Granville train wreck. Yeah, but it was a massive, yeah, yeah a, a massive incident. The reason I started writing the song was because there was a this very small little article that happened after that incident. As horrific as the whole thing was, there was a young copper who attended one of the the incidents, and I'm I'm not sure which one it was, whether it was Grafton or the second one. But he was so traumatized by the event that he um, took his own life a few months after. And it was that that made me aware for the first time of hero's remorse or PTSD, where people put themselves in danger uh, to help others. And they often suffer, suffer the worst consequences because there's something traumatic about those events that they, they just can't shake. And they go into a depression and it, um, it's too much for them to handle. So the song is basically a product of um, that article because it's about loss and it's about mm -hmm. grief, but it's, a, it's also about sacrifice. Wow, what a story. And, I mean, yeah, that was like more than 30 years ago, isn't it, that those crashes. I, I do remember because I was quite young and almost finishing high school and ready to take a bus and go up north or go to Byron or whatever we did in those days, you know, when Byron wasn't so hipster cool. Yeah. And I remember my parents kind of going, oh, God, you know, that bus crash. Everyone was affected by that bus crash. Yeah, it was, it was a nasty piece of road. It was dangerous mm. and everyone had known about yep. it for years and decades. Mm. And that was the finally the thing that put governments into action about putting some money into it and, and widening yeah, the roads, making them better. Yeah, so some good came of it. But, um, yeah, but that was the largely the inspiration for it. spoke to Wendy about recording the song can you recall her reaction and then hearing what she did for that song and the success that came with it afterwards for you as a real turning point in your career I'm, I'm guessing. I remember playing it to, to Wendy and, and I asked her and she very generous, generously played on them because I wasn't a recognized songwriter I was just a guy who played in the models and a host of other bands as a keyboard player but um, she came along and sang on the demos and there were two or three songs that she actually liked and she pulled that one out and said I really like this one I'm going to take that to the record company because Ruart had just signed her to a, a deal they were trying to turn her into something and because at that stage she was still just a really just a backup singer I think it was just prior to the absent friends getting a bit, bit of success she took it they played it they came back and said yeah, we like it. We want it to go on the album and we want it to be the single. And I thought they were mad. I couldn't see it. I, I just thought that's a, it's not a single, it's an album song uh, because it's, you know, it's very, dare I say, AOR. You know, it's not yeah. a pop song. Yeah. They were convinced. So um, they released it as a song and um, as a single. 
had good critical success. I, I don't know that it was, um, I think it reached number 12 or something. So it wasn't a huge hit, but it actually generated a lot of interest. And not only for Wendy's career and really paved the way for the rest of the singles to come off that album, but it also brought me to the attention of a lot of people, not in only in the music industry, but in the film industry. And I'd already decided that that's where my heart was, was in the film industry, because it came easier to me. Token Angels was one of the easier ones to come together. As obscure as it is, and a lot of people, I guess, don't understand what the song is about. I remember Wendy being interviewed and <laughs> they asked her what it was about. And she said it was about angels. <laughs> and I thought, well, nice try, you know. <laughs> but, you know, if you want to know what the song's about, you ask the songwriter, not the singer. But yeah, it's really about someone seeking solace and peace after the loss of a loved one. Mm. And the token is, well, some, some people invent their own tokens in order to to make the path easier for them. You know, some people believe in angels. Some believe in the afterlife. None of us know, but we put our faith in things that will lead us to a sense that, you know, our departed live on in the care and grace of another. Possibly poses the idea that we may meet them again one day. And whether these things are true or not so relevant, it's just these are the things we invent or these are the things we need to believe in in order to deal with bereavement. I wonder if Wendy actually did ask you, so what is this song about? Did she actually want to know what it was about? I mean, because the song went on to win an aria for Best Breakthrough Artist single in 91. It yeah. was the year of all the video clips. We sort of tuned into Rage and watched video clips, you know. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's what we all did, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, I think she had an inkling, but she she knew what generated the inspiration for it. And she knew basically it was a story about this young copper who took his own life. And I don't know that she knew any more than that. I can't remember talking about it in detail to her, but it's like most pieces of art or paintings or songs or you bring your own experiences to these things and even if they're not specifically laid out for you you interpret them in your own particular fashion and so there's a there is a deliberate obscurity to the song i still do it these days with a lot of things and i do it in my scoring as well where if it's a sad scene i try and interpret it broadly and i i don't I don't make it sad. I try and make it plaintive or bittersweet mm. because it's it's far more nuanced that way because life is more nuanced. It's, just, it's not just black and white. There can be, within sadness, there can be beauty. And so that's also what I tried to bring about with that song. It doesn't have to be dark and somber just because it's a song about death. It's there was something beautiful about his contribution. It's it was a sad ending, but it came his um it came from a good place of him trying to help people. In terms of this being a, a turning point in your career, as you say, where it led next? Around about 
the time that Token Angels came out, it did generate so much interest, as I said, in the film industry as well as the music industry. I found myself moving more towards that side of things. Um, around about the same period, I'd also done a... Uh, I'd, I'd won a fellowship to the uh, Robert Redford Sundance Institute, which was set up by Hollywood's uh, film composers at Redford's uh, Sundance Institute in Utah. And that was an all-expenses-paid course where they would fly you over there, feed you, and give you this amazing experience of scoring and writing with um, the Utah Symphony Orchestra. And so having that confidence of coming back from that course, I think, helped to create this whole idea that I can do all these things. I can. It started from the success of the song because I had a publishing deal waiting for me. Um, and I had, there was actually a, this small, ridiculous bidding war going on. And so I had a choice of publishers. I had interest from film people. And I had the first opportunity to score a feature film. And so, and this was all within the same 12 months of the single being released. So I scored that. I'd, I'd actually just done a orchestration for Jenny Morris for a single, uh, for a Paul Kelly song she had sung called I've Had You. And it was um, a lovely song, very haunting song. And I wrote this very trippy um, orchestral part for it. And little things like that started to generate and allowed me to uh, move more into the this other world that I was I only had a toe in. Um, at that stage, James Valentine, who had been a sax player in the in the models, had a little TV show called The Afternoon Show, and so I wrote the theme song for that. And Wendy sung the vocal. I did a few little bits and bobs for that over a couple of years. So all these little stepping stones led me to the ABC where I did some children's television for a while. And then the film happened. And the film generated a lot of interest because it was about a Japanese war bride in the 1950s, brought back from uh, the Australian, the, the Allied occupation of Japan after the Second World War, and how she was trying to adapt to the Australian lifestyle. It had a Japanese theme to it, but without being overt. And that was the trick. Even back then, I was trying not to make it too too much of a, a rip-off of the culture. That was nominated for an AFI, um, but I was pipped at the post because Miles Davis was up for an award at the same one for uh, Dingo, and he died just a couple of months later. So I tell everyone he got the sympathy vote, you know. <laughs> I would have won. <laughs> but that was the that was the culmination of the the path that basically Token Angels had set up for me. What that did was it allowed me to then move out of Sydney, where I moved into the country and now north of Sydney, and um I built a house and a studio. And it's where I still live with my partner and my two border collies. So it it had a very long-term effect uh, on the rest of my life. You know?
Roger Mason and some of his best work, Token Angels. I'm Jane Rocker. Thanks for listening to some of my best work.